since Ryan Miller and for the past 15 years have helped hundreds of people to raise millions of dollars for their funds and for their startups. If you're serious about raising money, launching your business, or taking your life to the next level, this show will give you the answers so that you too can enjoy your pursuit of making billions. Let's get into it. Can we just admit that buying a business is a fast track to build massive wealth in your life? My next guest has mastered just that. He is a pro in the private equity space where he's built a massive dental group in only a few years, giving him and his family life-changing returns. So the question is, are you going to start a business or buy one? All this and more coming right now. Here we go. Hey, welcome to another episode of Making Billions. I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and today I have my dear friend, Austin Davis. Austin is an expert in growing massive wealth for his investors in the medical practice space. Not only that, he runs a podcast in the top 0.5% called Shared Practices. He's built his dental group starting in 2022 that now already spans 34 locations in 25 states. So what this means is that Austin understands how to build massive wealth in the private equity medical space and is about to show you how to do the same making him a perfect example of another fund that won in its industry. So Austin, welcome to the show, man. Ryan, I'd like to say I'm excited to be here, you know, as a fellow podcaster and also podcast fan and, and regular listener. It's exciting to be on the show. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you, man. You know, we've gotten to know each other quite a bit over the last year or so. And man, I am so impressed. And the fact that someone in the podcastery has uh, also been a fan and, and you're you're like the top 0.5%. This is phenomenal to have you on the show, brother. So it's truly an honor on my side as well. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. So you've done some phenomenal things in the medical space. And, you know, I'd love just to address the beginners. And, you know, we've been beginners at one time. And some days I feel like I'm still learning for the first time. I'm wondering if you can share some of your advice on building through private equity, through medical practices. What's some advice you can share with our listeners around the world on how to win? and how not to lose in the beginning. Yeah, the uh, the medical um, private equity space, uh, especially in rolling up practices, has been really hot lately. So I think it's attracting more and more attention and people are starting to get more and more excited about it. And so uh, it's a fun space to be in. Really, I'm honestly pretty new to it. You know, I uh, started started my own practices and, and actually sold them to private equity. So I have experience from the seller side. And now I'm building my own group of practices as well. So like you said, we started in 2022, grown very, very quickly. So we've learned a lot along the way, a lot of... Uh, things the the good way and the hard way and everything in between. So, you know, one of the basic principles of, of how these uh, groups work. So I'm in dentistry uh, and we're a, a dental group, um, but it's very similar uh, in the vet space, um, also in, in medical too. I know um, dermatology and other medical specialties as well. So really it's an arbitrage game is kind of uh, how this got started. Um, so people saw they could go and, and they could buy a single um, individual, say dental practices and that dental practice, you know, they might be able to buy it for say three to four X EBITDA. And at the time, uh, when it first started, say 10 years ago, that was, that was the multiples there buying them for three to four X. And then, um, once they were, that practice was incorporated into their group. So, uh, a dental group, they call them a DSO. So we'll use that term as, as a dental group. Once they're incorporated into the DSO, all of a sudden that EBITDA is now worth say 12 to 14 X. And so people saw that like, wow, there's this huge you know, space here. I can buy this practice. And all of a sudden it's worth three X once it's incorporated into my group. And so, you know, over time, the single site multiple 
levels have gone up from that 3x to now, you know, say they're at 5 to 7x, but still there's that big arbitrage between that and, you know, the DSO multiple is say 12 to 14x. So that's kind of like a high level overview of how the, the rollups work in the um, medical field. I love that. So, so you come in, you buy a single office for, let's say three to six x somewhere in, you know, the, the, that range is under 10. You roll it into an existing practice or you, you, that you already have, or you're building that together. And essentially through the roll up, you can increase the exit multiple. I think you said to like 10 or 15 X. So the nice roll up strategy by itself is a value add for our real estate folks out there, right? Same value add property. You buy it at a certain price. You start doing some wonderful things to it and you get those economies of scale and your valuation goes up. So that's how the win, right? So you look for practices that have that three, four, five, six, even seven X and then and you start doing a roll-up, meaning for those of you who are new, a roll-up is just combining a bunch of fragmented practices or businesses in any industry. It's a common uh, private equity strategy where you roll these companies together, uh, form a super corp, and then you're good to go. But it's not enough to get some early points on the board. While that helps, you also got to make sure you don't get knocked out of the game as well. What's some advice that you've found with all of your experience? I mean, I know you started in 2022, but the fact that you're in 25 states with, I think, what was it, 34 locations? Like 34 that's locations. <laughs> in, under, in under two years, this is phenomenal. This is the power of sometimes we call it inorganic growth, basically buying companies and growing that way. You're going to have massive growth. So it is a huge strategy to go big really fast. It is capital intensive, but that's not the full story, is it? Sometimes there are pitfalls. I'm wondering if you could address some of the early pitfalls that some people doing roll-up strategies might face in your industry. Yeah, there's definitely pitfalls when you hear something that sounds that good, right? Oh, you can buy something and all of a sudden it's worth double or more. Uh, there's obviously going to be some pitfalls along the way or else everyone would be doing this. You know, the most common mistake that people make now, it, for a while it did work. Um, and the, the, you know, golden years when this was just getting started, it, it Pretty much was that easy. Now, you know, as more and more people are coming in to buy up these dental practices, you have to be a lot more careful with what practice you buy and what multiple you pay and, you know, what you're doing. And so one of the biggest risks is groups going in and they're like, you know, what's better than buying a $1.5 million practice with $500,000 of EBITDA? Buying a $5 million practice with a million dollars of EBITDA because it's faster. And so the risk with that is, is if, if this is a really large practice with like one just superstar, high performing doctor, you know, when that person leaves, all the sudden you're at risk for the practice decreasing and you paying this big premium because the, the large practice also comes with a premium. So you might be paying a eight or nine X and then the doctor leaves. And so then revenue goes down, EBITDA goes down and you've paid this huge multiple on it. You have a lot of debt and you can really get in trouble really quickly, especially with the rising interest rates um, as of late. And so I think that's one of the biggest risks. The other risk is not focusing on same store growth. You know, the private equity buyers are getting a lot smarter now This because since the in industry is maturing as far as uh, these roll-ups go and and they're getting a lot smarter. And so you can't just buy a practice, bolt it onto your uh, little group and then call it a day. Um, you really have to focus on same store growth and improving the practice, improving the operations and, and getting efficiencies and actually showing that you're building a real business and not duct taping, you know, a group of just random practices together to go sell them to some unsuspecting buyer. Man, perfect. So when you buy something for a premium, and in our case, these are medical practices in the dental space, when you buy them for premium, understand what is the driver of that premium? So I'm, I'm sanitizing, making it very uh, for multiple classes. But in your case, you're saying, well, often the reason why it's a premium, it's a larger practice, but probably there's a rock star one person. And if that one asset that's driving the premium is gone, 
you just overpaid. Now it's really hard to sell. So as the words of Warren Buffett, I actually got to hang out with him for lunch. And one of the things he taught us was he said, I make money when I buy, not when I sell. So overpaying is a way to get knocked out. I believe is what we're saying here is just like, if you're paying a premium, sometimes it's worth it, but be very clear on those drivers of the premium. And what is the risk of losing that premium? Because if you buy it at a premium, but sell it at a lower rate, obviously we know not a good situation for us to be in. So really being uh, paying attention to the drivers of that premium. Would you say that's a fair summary? Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game. It's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan brand. My next move, helping you win with everyday AI. Listen, wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. Yeah, that's right. And to relate it to, say, real estate, something that more people might have knowledge about, it's kind of like when you go and buy, there's two ways to buy real estate, right? You can buy the property, you can buy the tenant. And you have to be careful if you go in and buy a tenant, as we've seen with Walgreens recently, you know, they just got downgraded to junk status. And so all of a sudden, if you buy the tenant and not the property, you may not be as happy with your investment. Oh man, my, my sweet, sweet Walgreens. Uh, I wish them the <laughs> best of luck uh, while they pull through this one. You know, okay. So that's, that's, Incredible for the beginners in the private equity space, really just paying attention of don't overpay. But if you do and you're paying a premium, make sure that you can hold on to that premium. And then also just understand the value add properties uh, is kind of how we get some of those points on in the early days. But uh, approaching these practices is one thing, but it's also the market that we operate in as well. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the market. Talk about the economy. How's the market? What's going on at the market and where do you see it going? Yeah, the, the DSO space in particular um, is, is really hot right now, uh, and it has been for about a decade. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about uh, more sophisticated actors coming into it now. And so you really have to know what you're doing if you're going to be in this space. But, uh, you know, the multiples are holding at that 12 to 14 X and, and even some are going higher. Um, there's been transactions in the past, say, 18, 24 months, uh, one I know at 17 X and another at 19 X. So these are some pretty hot multiples for a kind of what some would consider a boring business, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's a great space to be in right now. Um, right now, it's estimated that approximately 30% of the dental market's consolidated, meaning that 30% is in these DSO corporate group type practices and 70% is still private. So there's still a lot of meat left on the bone. You know, I think it's going within the next five years to north of 50%. And, and I think it'll continue from there. So I don't see this slowing down anytime soon. Right on. So the way that I see it is, hey, we're we're not quite, it's not quite consolidated. It's only 30 to 35% right now. We're looking in just a few years to be up to 50. So what does that mean? It means the secret's out, but it also means now's the time to do it. it. It's a great time to do it. There's, like you said, a lot of meat on that bone. There's a long runway where we can really start bringing in private equity folks and partner with doctors, or maybe like you, they are the doctors and you can just go out and start um, building your DSO group practice. I love that. With all of that being said, we know the market. We We've talked about beginners. I'm wondering through all of your experience, if you could leave behind just two or three things from everything that you've done and all this wonderful stuff, what are two or three things that you found that you can leave behind that would give our listeners who are interested in private equity, giving them a competitive edge? What would you tell them? 
Yeah, I think uh, something that I've learned along the way and a lesson that really sticks out to me is playing the long game. Um, so when I say that, I mean, don't try to squeeze out every ounce of goodwill or every dime or everything you can possibly get out of every relationship, whether it's a partner, co-founder, an employee, or even a vendor. You know, your reputation goes a long way. It's something that you've actually taught me. And, uh, you know... If, if you um, try to squeeze out as much as you can out of every single person, uh, you're going to be known for that. And people aren't going to want to work with you. They're not going to want to build with you. You know, it's just going to be really hard. And, and short term greed is the enemy of long term wealth. It's something that I uh, have really learned and constantly tell myself. And I think uh, I really think it's true. Man, you remind me of a saying from one of my early professors. Uh, his name's Jim Engbritson. So he's a former Wall Street guy, hilarious guy. And this is a saying they would say on Wall Street is bears make money, bulls make money, but pigs get slaughtered. I don't know if you've ever heard that. So <laughs> don't be too greedy, right? You can make money in any market, but where you really get yourself in, in, pro, uh, in trouble, like Austin is saying is don't be too greedy. Pigs get slaughtered. And, you know, also something that you mentioned on that, and I, I don't want to let that slide. It was very subtle, but so important. We talked about not trying to squeeze everything out, every ounce of goodwill and all of these different things out of every relationship. Well, yes, to, there's a line, right? So we're there to get some value, to run a good business. We have partners, we have investors, and they we owe it to them to have a good deal. But there's a line, I think, is what Austin's talking about, folks. And that line, I find, is straddled very well by a certain kind of leader. And it's a leadership style that I subscribe to, and I'm pretty sure you do too, Austin, so keep me honest. We call that servant leadership, or sometimes I call it being a savage servant, right? So you're a very formidable leader, but you're not a jerk. You're actually a servant. And so often, I'm a, I'm still a recovering executive. Uh, I think you're still in the <laughs> thick of it. You're doing all kinds of stuff, brother. But one of those things is I would just walk around from my team and often when you have the C whatever, CFO, CEO, people, people clam up a little bit in their seats. They pucker a little bit when, especially when I was new. And I would just say like, Hey, how are you doing? What are you working on? What do you need to be successful? Do you have everything you need to be successful? And, and helping them understand that servant leadership or being a savage servant. So they know you got the chops, you can get it done and you can move mountains for them and you want to. And so when you work in a culture, especially when you're the new, you bought a new company and now they got to work with you and they're worth their use of their old boss who was their cousin or whatever. And now you go in and say, Hey, do you have everything you need to win? How can I help you? How can I support you? I want to take care of you. And I want to see you win. When you start leaning into all of that servant leadership, that alone, I would argue, and Austin, feel free to prove me wrong. That in itself, leadership can add tons of shareholder value, tons of revenue, tons of loyalty, productivity, cost reduction, all from the quality of your leadership. So it's not a management job where it's trying to get people to do everything you want them to do. It's about getting people to do something they never thought they could. And so bringing that servant leadership and helping people believe in themselves rather than to serve you, my goodness, and Austin, you're phenomenal at it. I could just tell, man, you're a good dude. I'd work for you any day, man. Let me know. So that being <laughs> said, in all seriousness, so play the long game. I absolutely love that. What else have you found to be helpful with all of your background, all of this experience? What's something else that you found to be supremely helpful when doing these medical roll-ups? Yeah, this one's going to sound a little unusual, but for me, it has been creating white space in my schedule. So if you look at my schedule, uh, you know, you might think I don't do anything, but every single day ends up 
busy and I end up, you know, I, I work really hard. And so I really like to have plenty of time in my schedule to work on the most important thing. And usually you don't know what the most important thing that day is until that day comes. And so I really work hard on my schedule and like I have tons of blocks in my schedule and um, it's very strategic. And, and it's because, you know, you can end up with meetings and, you know, all kinds of things in your schedule that basically clog your ability to actually work deeply on anything. And so um, having that white space has really allowed me to be more focused on what I'm working on be more creative and get things done that I couldn't if I had a, a schedule that was just packed full of meetings or to-do lists or other things. And so, you know, really just focusing on not having too rigid of a schedule. The only thing I'm rigid about is my blocks of like work time. I'm very rigid about those, but I'm also very rigid about not having them uh, scheduled. All right. So I, I won't text you around dinner time anymore. All right. I get it. I get it. No, I'm just joking. So, so creating that white space. And I remember a long time ago, Austin. So many uh, you and, and myself and maybe thousands of people around the world might have heard of a guy named Stephen R. Covey. And he was phenomenal. And I remember when I was a young guy, just in college, just getting destroyed by the schedule that they put you through because it was new for me. And I really wanted to do well in school. And so I remember learning and reading, consuming some of that because I was a fan at the time. Still am. I remember one thing you talked about in focus was you never, and this is, this is probably pretty rigid for you, but he said the the top limit of what Austin is talking about folks, according to another business management consultant is, is you never want to plan more than at most 60%, but preferably much less than that. And it allows you to be flexible. So he said that too often when you have too rigid of a schedule, it can really lead you to stick to the schedule rather than shift things to address, as you said, Austin, the most important thing. So just making sure you don't have too rigid of a schedule. I love it. And I look forward to that day, my man. So this is good. We're going to have to talk offline. You can, you can <laughs> and everyone knows when their uh, most productive time is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's first thing in the morning or late at night or whenever it is, yeah. but being rigid about keeping that time for yourself to work on like your deep stuff or your most important thing. Like that's, that's been a huge change in my life that uh, I could never go back without it. I love it. And speaking about working on the most important thing, Often we're, I mean, on this podcast, making billions, we're talking about the most important thing often is getting your money right, working on deals. But what about the person who's working on deals? I'm curious from your perspective, maybe this is a third point, but from your perspective, how is it not only building a business, but building yourself? What have you found to, to, to be useful in your life as you've built a business, but also held your sanity? I know you've, you're a family man like me and right. We have other important things that we're also equally excited about. They're not necessarily pursuit of cash, but they're also the pursuit of joy and happiness and satisfaction and ecstasy and what all these wonderful things that we feel as human beings. What have you found to help bring balance into your approach as you build your businesses? Yeah, something that I've noticed with a lot of young entrepreneurs, myself included, uh, at a time in my life was is, is you get so excited about building a business or, or doing a deal or an investment or whatever that you just end up running from thing to thing and you don't have a lot of focus and, and your whole life just gets consumed by the next deal or the next business or the next whatever it might be. But as I've kind of gone through my journey, I realized how important it is. You know, I've got a, a one and a three year old and a wife and, and, you know, that is like you can't build a successful success business if you don't have a successful home life. So taking care of your relationships and your kids and your family, and then also just your your mind and your body too. Um, so taking time, I, you know, every single morning I go to the gym and getting that in every single morning is something I've been doing for 15 years now. And life with versus without it is so different. And so really just taking care of, of all aspects of your life and not putting 100% into business or, or the next thing you're building, because it can't be successful if other aspects of your life aren't successful. 
Man, I love that. You know, and this is sharing time. I'll share with my most of my most productive time is the morning. And I use that time to focus on this. And I'd love to hear your perspective. So I focus on mind, body and spirit. So I've done this for 20 years. I wake up at 5 a.m. and I will meditate, whatever that is. Some people pray, do, you know, read Bible or holy book. And it's just connecting with the deeper world. But it also helps for me just to be like, oh, yeah, things are actually pretty good. So you don't get caught up on one thing and, and extrapolate where you connect to a deeper thing. And, you know, regardless, you have good times, you have high times, low times. But either way, doing that time, focusing on your mind and just inflecting on what's going on. So many profound lessons and strategies come from those early mornings at 5 a.m. But I'm not done. And then we go to the gym, we exercise, take care of that, really get the blood pumping. That's great for stress relief if you have that, but also you're just taking care of the temple, man. And then finally, with the spirit as well, through that meditation, and then you're reading books as well, so educating your mind and using that time, um, not necessarily Harry Potter, maybe we like that, but I'm using <laughs> it to actually build skills, right? So often I'm reading back like textbooks from grad school, whatever that might be, negotiation, marketing, it doesn't matter. There's an endless supply of books, which as you can see, you can also organize in rainbow patterns behind <laughs> you on your podcast. But in all seriousness, building that and making sure that not only are you building a business, you're building the person who's building the business. And all of that can come together. And too often in an episode, just a couple before you, we had Katie Richardson. She often said when building her business in 26 countries, very often you're like, you've, you've got this bow and three arrows and nine targets. So very often as an entrepreneur, you got way more targets than you have arrows. And so one of the best ways to do it is align multiple targets so that you can shoot one arrow and actually and hit it on two or three targets. And so a lot of how do I build my business in a way that also builds my mind and my body and my spirit. So as you start to combine it all into one impact and achieve it to a common purpose, very often you're no longer feeling like, well, if I'm going to build my business, it means I'm going to get chubby or I'm going to lose my marriage <laughs> or what. I, and none of that's, that's common though, right? That's super that, common. And it's nah. not acceptable to, to me anyways, and to you and anyone listening to making billions probably <laughs> has some grit. They're looking to get things done, right? These aren't people that are okay failing at anything. I get it. I get it, folks. Austin gets it. I get it. We all get it. But if you align yourself and make sure you have that magic morning or whenever it is, it doesn't matter, but don't ever let your foot off the gas when it comes not just building your business, but building your family, building your soul, your mind, your spirit, everything. You can actually align a lot of these things and just build a life that contributes to overall well-being. Would you say that's a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a perfect summary. And I'm a I'm a huge Naval Ravikant fan. And so he has a, a quote that I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but it's something along the lines of uh, don't go try to fix the world if your family is not right. And so it's like, take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your personal life before trying to fix the world or solve the next big problem or uh, next, build the next big business. That's right. I mean, we, we could talk about that, but I want you all to just pause and listen and remember what Austin just said. It does you no good you no good to gain the world and lose your soul or your family or your health or your mindset or your happiness. So this is very serious stuff. And I know you can tell me and Austin are good buddies and we're smiling and we're joking around, but this is really good stuff. And, and truly, if we can help even one of you listening to make sure that you build yourself as you build your business, you're going to really enjoy this process. So as we wrap things up, Austin, is there anything else that you would like our fans to know? Anything at all? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you want to listen to uh, more of what I have to say, especially about the dental space, you can check out sharedpractices.com. We have quite a few podcasts on there, everything from uh, very dental specific, which probably isn't going to interest most of this audience. But we do have a podcast where we talk a lot about like inside baseball behind like the DSO industry. And as we're building our business, so it's not very dental specific. It's just us talking about building our business. I'm on there sometimes, but it has uh, more regular co-hosts that aren't me. And then if you want to hear me talk about crypto, which is my uh, other passion outside of dentistry, you can listen to me at uh, Doctors of DeFi. So yeah, I'm, I'm really into podcasts, some that are serious, some that are kind of fun. So that's it. Awesome. So shared practices, that's the one that's in the top 0.5%. That's all a lot of the stuff we talked about today. And then Doctors of DeFi, cool name, by the way. So that's one <laughs> on uh, crypto. So just to summarize everything, learn to play the long game. Don't squeeze every little ounce out of the short game. Make sure that you dive into that servant or that savage servant leadership. The second thing that Austin really talked about is make sure that you don't plan such a rigid schedule, that you have the ability to flex as your day flexes, as it changes. If you have a dynamic business or fund or just your life, it's good. Austin's like, you can go around 20%, you can go up to 60%, typically no more than that. But make sure you have the ability to flex in your schedule so you can be quick to adapt. And then finally, when you're building a business, also make sure that you use this time in your life and in your career to not just build a business and let everything else fall by the wayside, but really do your execution right. Do it in a way that builds your mind, your body, your spirit, and of course, your money. You do these things and you too will be well on your way in your pursuit of making billions. Wow, what a show. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to leave a comment and review on new ideas and guests you want me to bring on for future episodes. Plus, why don't you head over to YouTube and see extra takes while you get to know our guests even better. And make sure to come back for our next episode where we dive even deeper into the people, the process, and the perspectives of both investors and founders. Until then, my friends, stay hungry, focus on your goals, and keep grinding towards your dream of making billions.